Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. All right, well, I'm going to ask you to stand again. Ty's like, should I tell him to sit down after the song? I'm like, yeah, you should. And then I just thought, no, I'm going to ask him to stand up again. But, um, we're, but I'm going to read our passage for today. We're in the, this is the second to last message um, in our series in First uh, Peter. And so First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. I, uh, this message is really about leadership, and so for you knowing this is coming for weeks and months, um, the thing that came to my mind most of all, talking about leadership in church, is all the failures of leadership in church that we see in our culture all the time. But then I, then I thought about just leadership in general and where we see good leadership and where we see bad leadership and came to the conclusion that maybe we're just in a crisis of leadership in general, and this week, that's been highlighted by the fact that Vladimir Putin has decided to invade Ukraine for, for no discernible reason, really, at all, other than that he's a bit crazy. And, um, and, and so, you know, I hope that you've been paying attention to that and been in prayer for that. And then I thought about next to him, and the Olympics highlighted this, that the guy that's in charge of China, and I've China, something I've tracked for years, you know, the social credit score thing that they do is nuts. The um, what they're doing to the the Uyghur people um, in Western China is a genocide, and we still held the Olympics there. They um, what they've done to the church over the years is just depressed the church. You know, just all the things, and so that's about a quarter of the population of the world that are under the leadership of those two guys who are just horrible. Um, I started thinking about what happened in Canada a few weeks ago, and I don't know if you tracked this, but they had a, it was about COVID and a protest, but what they did is suspended everybody's civil rights to end the protest, and I, I don't know a whole lot about what's going on in Canada, but it was, seemed to be a great overreach of leadership um, in that, and Canada, like, you just think Canadians are nice, right? Like, that's generally what you think about. That wasn't nice, and, the, and when you saw a few clips of the police officers, like, some lady got run over by one of those Mounties, you know, the police officers on a horse, and, uh, and so it wasn't nice, and then you think about what's going on closer to home, and I don't want to get into a politics conversation, but Biden's approval numbers are, like, have sunk incredibly, and Afghanistan last fall was a leadership fail, and it's a big part of why his numbers have um, have gone down, and and um, I mean, that's the hardest job in the world, is being the president of the United States, and, and this probably hasn't been a president I've been a huge fan of since Reagan, but, uh, but and then I heard this, um, I saw this, and it was from a source that I think was reliable, that the most likely candidates for the next presidential election cycle are, are, are you sitting down right now? Because this is what they said, they said it's Trump and Clinton are the most likely candidates and I, and I thought a few things. I thought, I don't know if I can do that again. I could just, and then I thought I might have to move to, 
I might have to move to Canada. Oh, we can't move there because they're crazy too. And then I thought, really, is this the best that we can do? Um, and certainly it's not, but something's broken, you know. And I thought about local leadership, and um, we have a development in nearby our neighborhood that, that the neighborhood fought the city council against. And the city council went against what their planning commission said. And I just ended up with the development stuff that goes on right now and the thing in downtown south or whatever. It just seems like someone, like some folks on the council are on the take. Like, I just, I don't trust their leadership. I thought about workplace leadership, and I talk to you guys about your workplace leadership a lot because it kind of fascinates me. And if you had to rate your workplace leadership on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being awesome and 1 being, like, horrible, how many of you would give your workplace leadership in general a 10? Anybody? Anybody? Is Tiffany in the room? Is Tiffany, would you give us a 10? Uh, uh, how many people would give it like a seven to a nine? Four to six. Uh, one to three. It's zero. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's just hard. And then, you, and then you think about the church. And this hits close to home, like just failures of leadership in the church. We planted out of a big church in town, um, and a year ago, the pastor retired suddenly, but he was 65, so that made sense. But then it came out that he had had a moral failure. And um, that's my old boss. He's more than a boss. He's next to my dad, the, the second most influential person in my life. We named our first kid after him. I love him. If I thought he was going to hear that, that I talked about it at all, I wouldn't say it, you know, but I, just, I don't think he's going to. And I know that, that it's crushing him. Um, but it was a failure in leadership, and it let a lot of people down. And it happens in church all, every week, it seems like we hear about something. You know, a few other churches in town that I know are going through crisis in leadership, either right now or in the past few years, they've gone in significant crisis in leadership. There was a podcast this year. Did anybody listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Was any, were many people caught up in that? That was about a leader in, um, he's in Seattle well, he's in Arizona now. He started another church after the church in Seattle removed him from leadership and started a church planning movement called Acts 29. I have a ton of friends that are Acts 29. It's great. Um, but they removed him from leadership from that just for being, it, as this passage will say, domineering and a bully and just kind of a jerk and, and a bad leader. And now he's in leadership someplace else. Um, Hillsong is, was like the celebrity church. I mean, we do a lot of Hillsong music, you know, and it came out of Australia, Australia but there's a celebrity church, Justin Bieber's church and Kevin Durant. Well, that guy who went to state ended up having a moral failing and got removed from leadership, and then his boss, Brian Houston, got removed from leadership, and Brian Houston's dad is one of the guys that helped start in Australia, and he was abusing young boys. Like all of the, just all of it, Ravi Zacharias. You know, is that Ravi Zacharias? Like, I recommended him for years, an apologist who I listened to, I thought, is, and was brilliant. And there was an allegation years ago by a woman in Canada of an abuse, sexually abusive relationship with him, manipulative relationship that nobody paid attention to because he's Ravi. Well, then after he died, it came out. He was, he was a creep, and he was abusing his power and taking advantage of women. Um, Jerry Falwell at Liberty University, Ted Haggard, who was the head of the National Association of Evangelicals when his scandal came out, Bill Hybels was the head of Willow Creek, which was like the first big contemporary megachurch, Talian Shavidian was Billy Graham's grandson who was on the rise in ministry before his scandal came out, Josh Duggar, the, S the Southern Baptist Convention, and 
just any number of stuff. And I love the Southern Baptist Convention, but any number of scandals that's come out of that. John Piper's church has gone through scandals since he left the Catholic Church. Like, it's overwhelming to think about the number of Christian leaders in some form of scandal. And I don't want, I don't want to say that to like pile on or to be holier than thou. We're all sinners saved by grace in the process of being sanctified and being made more like Jesus. And I think I say this a lot. I think everyone's internal life involves quite a bit of scandal. <laughs> you know, like when Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you, don't be angry. I think he's getting it like the bar is pretty high and none of you make it. Um, I heard a pastor say this years ago, and I've used this a few times. He said, if, he said, if you knew about me, what God knows about me, you wouldn't be here right now. Uh, but then he said, but if, if we knew about you, what God knows about you, we wouldn't let you in. And, you know, that's all like, you know, that's all true, right? And, but there's a mandate for leaders, particularly Christian leaders, to submit that internal, for all of us to submit our internal scandal to God. Luther said, all of life is repentance. But the bar is higher for leaders to do that in such a way and with a regularity. That's what qualifies them as leaders, that it protects their followers from their internal scandal. So I want to talk about leadership in this passage. I'm going to say two things. I have two points. One is that leadership um, was God's idea, and it's a good one. That's kind of two points within one point. So I cheated a little bit there, but that's it. And the second one is that without a lot of humility, uh, both on the part of the leaders and on the part of those being led, um, leadership doesn't have a chance just doesn't work. And this passage makes that clear. So uh, Peter starts, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So our church is led by elders um, who see themselves as under shepherds of the chief shepherd who is Jesus. Jesus is the lead pastor of every church everywhere. And we do, we're led like this because we think in the New Testament that is the, the, both the descriptive and prescriptive way that churches um, are led. Not all churches are led like that. Some church polity, that's the term that we're talking about right now, really is um, there's a congregational church polity that some churches use where it's basically like a democracy and everything is, is voted on and we just don't see that. There's involvement for sure, but we don't see that in scripture. Some have a whole lot of structure, you know, and so they've got bishops that oversee churches and but it's more individual at the church level and then you get to the Catholic church where they have a pope and and I don't really see that as um, biblical. A lot of old Baptist churches, and some of you may have grown up in these, where they're led by the deacons and not by the elders, because at some point there was a power struggle and the deacons won. And, and I know a lot of pastors that have tried to reverse that, and that's their struggle. Um, in Acts 14, uh, this is one of the passages we get our form of leadership from. Paul is at the end of the first missionary journey. So he takes three missionary journeys where he goes out, and this one's in Turkey, goes to a bunch of cities, preaches the gospel, sees people come to faith in Christ. And in this one, he gets to the end of the line of these cities and then goes back through the cities. And it says they'd preached the gospel to that city, the last city, and made many disciples. And then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders 
in, for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So that was what they did with the early churches. They gave them some time, and then they came back through and saw who might be. And Paul lists qualifications for elders and other places in the New Testament. By prayer and fasting, they appointed elders, plural, for them in every church. And so that's how they're led. So we have an elder board, and that is who runs the church. I am one of the elders, uh, but the elders can fire me. And it's always important for me, for, for me, for you to know that I'm not in charge, that the elders are in charge, and they can get rid of me. I've told them a few times they might want to think about doing that. You know, like, um, uh, and, and so we, our elders, I think a lot of our elders are in the room right now, our active elders, Nate is an active elder, John Pritchett's an active elder, Daniel Floyd, I don't know if I saw him this morning, he's an active elder. We've got some guys that are inactive elders, Shannon was an elder active for a while, Glenn was an elder that was active for a while, Ken, is Ken in here, or was he? And so we've got some active and inactive elders um, in the room right now. And the, the dominant so there's three dominant metaphors for the church in the New Testament. One is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the body, chief lead pastor of every church. One is the flock, and so he's the chief shepherd, and elders are under shepherds. And the other is the household of God. And so elders are seen as like kind of the fathers of the household. And so God, it's, leadership is God's idea. God put leaders in place for the church, and he does that with the things that People say there's three institutions that God ordained. One is the family, one is the church, and one is the state. And so he prescribed leadership in each of those areas because anarchy is not a good strategy. Um, and so in the, in the family, you see husbands are called to lead their families. I talked about this because Peter talked about it, and right after Christmas had a message about this. In Ephesians, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its savior. And so husbands have a place of humble leadership in their families. Um, in the church, elders have a place of leadership. There's other leaders, but they're the, you know, the body of leaders in, in, the, uh, in the family. And in the state, there are you know, there's authority, uh, there, there's leadership, there's responsibility and accountability. Um, there are kings like David and Saul. Uh, before them, there were judges like Gideon and Deborah. Before them, there were just random dudes that God called to lead like Abraham and Moses, you know. And so leaders, biblically, are stand-ins for God, and God holds leaders accountable. And that's, that gives you peace as a follower to believe that God is the one that's going to hold all leadership accountable. In this passage, he says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. So that's a reminder. It's not your flock. It's God's flock. And so you shepherd God's flock um, and know like you're the guest shepherd uh, for God in this case, as God would have you. And so God's the one that puts you in a place of leadership. And then when the chief shepherd appears, and so that's like a way of saying the boss is coming back. And so mind your P's and Q's, like keep on your toes because you're going to be accountable um, to him. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And so elders will have to give an account for their leadership um, of the flock that God gave them leadership over. Um, just another, I think, some problems that we have with leadership, uh, and one of them is this, because leaders are stand-ins for God, we resist, we tend to resist leadership the same way we resist God's uh, leadership. And so follow me for a second with this one. But in the garden, that was an exercise of, of leadership. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, says, here's the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, which is a way of saying, trust me. Like, I've got good and evil down. You're never going to get it down. Just trust me. I'll give you what you need to know as you need to know it. 
Um, and there's going to be consequences if you don't. And so they choose not to follow his leadership, and they eat from the fruit of that tree uh, because they're, they're really rebelling against the leadership of God. And I think in the same way, the same part of them that said, nope, we're just going to go ahead and do what we want to do, is the same part of us that sometimes aggressively and most of the time passive-aggressively around the water cooler complains about our bosses, you know, and thinks, I could do this better, um, and so we, we resist uh, leadership. Or we follow the leader as long as the leader is taking us where we think we ought to go. <laughs> and, um, and as soon as that changes, then we resist the leadership. And so leaders aren't God, but they're, they're, their authority derives from God. And, and leaders, if you're leading something, I believe you'll be accountable to God for how you, you handled whatever responsibility he gave you. Here's another trouble I think we get into. We get in trouble when instead of following the God who appointed the leader and to whom the leader is going to be accountable, we follow the leader themselves. Uh, that makes sense. So uh, the leader is a means to an end of following God, but some, it's, sometimes it's really easy just to follow the leader and forget about God. And so we elevate leaders to like a God-like status. And I think that's easy to do in large part, because a leader, especially when you get a good leader, if you get a charismatic leader, if things are going well, the leader's right there. You know, you can talk to the leader. You can have lunch with the leader. You can see and hear the leader. And God sometimes just seems like you don't know what he's doing right now. And so he's harder, um, he's harder to follow. And uh, because we want to be on the winning team and because celebrity is a bit of a, um, a trap, and so we, we elevate leaders. And it's a danger to us and to them. Um, I read a quote from Eugene Peterson this week. He said, three ways seek, people seek transcendence without God. And he said they're um, drugs, sex, and crowds. Crowds. And he said ministers often talk against, you know, drugs and sex, but seldom do ministers talk about the danger of crowds. And then said there's an ecstasy to the crowd, to being in the inner ring to being with the few that really know what's going on, to being close to the leader. And we know that, right? If you've been in a situation where you're close to the leader and then you just elevate the leader, and it's dangerous for us because we put our hope in fallible men and women, and it's super dangerous for the leader because it's the temptation of every leader um, to think that, that they don't need God, that they somehow are standing in for God. And so part of these big church scandals is the isolation and celebrity and expectation that's put in these pastors puts a pressure on an individual that is unsustainable uh, for anybody. And the disillusionment in the wake of these scandals is, in part, a picture that we put our, we put our hope in the leader instead of the God who put the leader in charge. So leadership, it's God's idea. It's a good idea. He tells these leaders here, shepherd the flock of, uh, of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And, it, and again, it's a necessary idea. So when he says shepherd the flock, who are we? We're the sheep, right? That's not a compliment. Um, he's not saying, you guys, you're so warm and fuzzy. Uh, that's not it. I mean, sheep are not bright animals. Um, I remember reading a story a couple years ago about a flock of sheep, and it was, I think it was in Turkey, where the first one or two went off, a, the, like a cliff went down, and the rest of them thought, well, I guess this is what we're doing today. And 2,000 sheep went off the cliff. And after the first few hundred, the other ones were okay because they were bouncing off of warm, fuzzy sheep. You know what I mean? But for the first uh, hundred, it was tragic, and they all died. And that's just how sheep roll, right? 
Um, sheep don't know. It's not like a wolf pack. They're not going to hunt together and figure out how to get their food. Sheep can't do that. They don't find food. Sheep, I've read this about how if they get, because of they're so woolly, they get caught in a thicket and they just can't, they just can't, well, I guess this is where we are. Uh, they can't get out of it or they'll get close to a river and they'll get down and their fur will get a little bit wet, but they're drinking and they don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden they get a little bit more wet, a little bit more wet, and they're floating down a river because they don't know, like they just can't, um, they're not, they're not bright animals. And so we're the sheep. That's what he's saying is you need to be, um, you need to be led. And so he says to shepherds, exercise oversight, uh, which, is, which is the word that, that means careful scrutiny. Or um, someone said a, a pastoral, fatherly, loving concern for God's people. This was a quote from an early, uh, an early church leader. This is the rule for the overseers of the camp. He shall love the congregation as a father loves his children and shall carry them in all their distress like a shepherd his sheep. Um, you know who's not having a leadership crisis right now? The Ukraine. Has anybody followed the Zelensky guy? Holy moly. <laughs> like, uh, he is a stud, man. He is a leader. He, the U.S. apparently offered to, like, get him out. Um, did you hear this? They, we offered to evacuate him from the Ukraine, and he, his response was, I don't need a ride, I need bullets. Like, that's literally what he said to us. Uh, he was on a call, I think, two nights ago there, talking to European leaders, I assume Zooming with them, and said, hey, guys, this might be the last time we talk, because I'm number one on Putin's list, and if he finds me, he's going to kill me. Um, but he stayed. And he's, you know, dressed up in all the garb. I found, I've, I've thought maybe this is just how you respond in the situation, but I found something that when he was elected a few years ago, he told Ukrainian leaders, he said, don't put a picture of me on your wall. Leaders are not icons. He said, put pictures of your children on your walls of your office and think about them with every decision that you make. Like, this guy seems like a leader that is, in this sense, shepherding his flock right now um, and caring for them well. So he goes, Peter goes on, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. Um, and so just addressing those, the compulsion, but willingly, honestly, I didn't think about, like, I had a hard time coming up with that, because I don't sense a lot of people leading under compulsion, um, it's particularly not in the places that I've been in the church. The shameful gain, but eagerly, like, when I was younger, it seemed like a lot of the church scandals were televangelists, and they were money. You know, they were for shameful gain. I think that's still going on in plenty of places, and I've got huge concerns about the prosperity gospel, because I think that happens, and it's justified um, in a lot of different in a lot of different cases. I had a, um, a pastor years ago say, when I was real young in ministry, said, pastors should make enough money that they don't have to worry about meeting their family's needs, you know, but they shouldn't make so much money that anyone would look at their job and say, you know what, that's a pretty good gig. Makes some pretty good money being a pastor. I think I'll do that. Like that people would be financially motivated to be a pastor. And that was helpful for me and has been helpful um, over the years. Now, the guy that said it was Bill Hybels, who was one of the guys in the scandal list at the beginning. So there you go. Um, but I think that's useful. I mean, that's useful uh, to think about 
about compensation for pastors. I think the sordid gain that is the temptation for most spiritual leaders is not financial. It's probably more in terms of applause and ego and celebrity and control. And so many scandals now are about power and they're about control. And every leader has to check their heart on that. And, and then Peter says, not domineering, but being an example. And so, again, that has to do with control and being a bully. And I think there's, there's probably a really fine line um, that's hard to discern in that because because a good leader is going to push you past where you want to go or you think you can go. I mean, that's part of why we have leaders. And leaders typically move at a pace faster um, than the average person. And so that can come across as domineering. And again, the line is real fine. It probably comes down to what is truly motivating the leader. Is it their own form of control or what they want? Or are they really seeking the will of God and the good of the people that they're leading? Um, Jesus, I think, talks, speaks towards this when he says to his disciples, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And those words, the words used for lorded over them and exercise authority over them, uh, actually have like the way that they're constructed, like a pressing down on people, um, you know, context to them. And so he said, lord it over is exercise of dominion against someone to your own advantage. And exercise authority is the tendency towards compulsion or oppression, uh, which is imminent in all earthly power. And Jesus says, it, that's not how it's going to be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came to serve, not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's our example. And so let me use that to transition into my second point, which is without a lot of humility, both on the part of the leaders and those that are being led, um, leadership doesn't work. Peter finishes out this passage by saying, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In that previous passage where he's saying, Lead like me, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve is a call for humility and a model for leadership. Um, and that's what the leader has to demonstrate in order to lead well. I don't, I don't think when we, when we put down um, qualities of leaders, I just don't generally think that humility comes towards the top of that list. You know, you're never going to be in a job interview where they're going to say, you know, give me an example of a time where you were really humble. Uh, It'd be a great question just to watch somebody squirm um, and try and, and because if they can answer it, they probably don't, can't answer it, you know. Um, but we just don't we don't think like that. We think of strength, uh, we think of charisma, we think of the ability to form and communicate vision, or maybe a tactical brilliance to accomplish vision, and all those things are are good, you know. The leaders need those things, but without humility. Like, without the character to make the personal sacrifices necessary to accomplish it, to put others before yourself, <laughs> uh, those gifts, without humility, but with the authority that a leader can get, are super dangerous. And that is where a lot of scandal comes from, you know? I think, um, ideally, and this happens a lot in corporate settings, why they have profit sharing, you know, win-win is the ideal, that... You win, I win, we all win. Um, but when that can't happen, because it can't always happen, 
then the leader's the one that says, you're going to win, and I'm going to win last. You know, I'm willing to lose in order that you can win. And it's where the character of a leader um, comes through. I'll never forget my first boss. I was in grad school, but working at a hospital is like a, I don't know, apprenticeship or something. And the lady that I was working for, you know, one of our first meetings was just asking where I wanted to get to and how she could help me get there. And I remember being surprised. And she's one of the best bosses that I ever have because she clearly, you know, was concerned and put first like what we wanted and fit that with the needs of the organization. But um, she was really concerned for us. I think um, over years and Nate has started a business about the same time as the church started, and and so Nate and I are friends and talked a lot about that business and how he leads that business and and putting like it's God's business, and the values of the business are, you know, his 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 employees, but also his customers, and so profits in there, you know. But he knows if those things work out the way that they're supposed to, then profits gonna come. But he but it's like his priorities are right in the way that. He leads it. Um, in Philippians, um, so Paul talks about Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Uh, and that's, that's what it looks like um, to lead. Uh, CS, maybe, maybe my favorite, most impactful chapter of any book that I've read is C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Um, he has a chapter on pride called The Great Sin. And he talks about pride being an essentially competitive, um, like it's what it is. Like it's not, it's not enough to have something. You have to have more than the people around you. And, um, and leaders... Every, all of us have pride, you know. It's a trap for all of us. It's a bigger trap for leaders, and I think you see it in leaders a lot. Humility is the opposite. It's elevating God above the other, Um, and it takes a lot of security, and security ultimately that can only come from your relationship with God. And so as leaders, humility is necessary, and for the follower, and all of us are followers, humility I mean, first, in the recognition of what God says is our need to be led, because we don't like that, and we haven't liked it from the beginning, and that God is going to use fallible people to lead us. Um, the, the hardest thing about church leadership is you're a shepherd, but you're a sheep but at the same time, you know? When we do, when we start the process of, of bringing guys into leadership as elders, we give them this series of questions, like their personal reflection questions that I got from another pastor years ago, and they're super hard. Like, if you answered all those questions, said, yeah, got it, they're great, we, you'd be kicked out of the process. But every time I look at the questions and answer them again, I'm like, I'm going to have to quit because, <laughs> like, it, they're just character questions, and nobody is, is to the place where they need to be completely uh, with their character. Um, I learned years ago my number one qualification for an elder is humility, and it's not close uh, because that's, that's what you need. You know, and so God has put um, for this season, and this as a follower, the humility that's necessary is that for this season, He's put, and whoever it may be, like God is sovereign over your workplace. He's sovereign over our nation. So He's put those, and Peter's addressed this. You know, um, He's put those people in leadership over us, and we have to 
accept that. Uh, Maybe the best picture in the Bible of this is King David. So Saul was the first king of Israel, and God tells David, you're going to be the king, but doesn't tell him when. And so then Saul tries to kill David because he knows this is happening, and David has an opportunity to kill Saul. And it would have been good for the guys that are following David and probably good for the nation because Saul has gone crazy. But David says, I will not lift my hand against the Lord anointed. I will wait on the timing of the Lord to the expense of myself. And it's the humility of someone who's following and understanding that God is the one that's ultimately in charge. Throughout the letter, Peter has said this. Throughout this letter, he said it over and over again. Be subject. Like it's a choice on our part to be subject. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or supreme or governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Um, And that the word is to rank yourself under. It's a choice that you make. It's the garden. There's a decision to rank ourselves under God. He puts, the, he puts the tree in the middle of the garden says, up to you. You know, you, we'll deal with the consequences, but up to you. And so be subject, wives to husbands, children to parents, congregants to elders. He, he gives us our dignity because it's our choice. He doesn't say to leaders, do whatever it takes. Rule with an iron fist. Get them under your thumb. Instead, he says, don't be domineering. Uh, but at the same time, he says, lead. Because I put you there, and because people need leadership, and you're there as my representative. And so, to leaders, follow hard after the Lord. Lead the people that he's called you to. Um, In Romans, Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The one who leads, lead with zeal. Like, lead, uh, because we need it. Um, So, if you are in positions of leadership, like lead... The, the word zeal is, is spude in Greek, like with a swiftness of movement or action, with haste, with speed, lead, um, believing that God's the one that has put you in that position, but lead for the will of God and lead for the good of the people that you're leading and check your heart that you're not leading for sordid gain or to domineer over people. And in the areas that you're being led, follow the Lord and, and not just the leader um, and have humility in that. Uh, I'm gonna, the band can come back up, and I'm just going to finish this talking about communion. And again, I forgot my little cup. But you, we're gonna, those cups are on there. We do this every week. You can, over the next few songs, take communion um, when you feel like you're ready to. But ultimately, that's what this is about, is following Jesus. Lewis, um, his famous, thank you, his famous, his, the line out of that pride chapter that has stuck with me forever is that in God you come up against something that is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And unless you know God is that, and yourself is nothing by comparison, you don't know God at all. (laughs) A leader who keeps that in mind is a leader that's going to stay humble and lead well. And ultimately, that's who we are uh, following. And the gospel is the ultimate experience in, in leadership, because he led us in the garden. And that decision to eat from the fruit of the tree was not like an honest mistake, It was an act of rebellion against the one who loves us the most. And we do it every day in different ways. Say, God, you know, I think I got this. I think I'm smarter than you. But he's the one that has authority over us. And so we created a problem. We created consequences. And consequences that he knew immediately what he was going to have to do as the leader to deal with those consequences. You know, before they get out of the garden, he tells Satan, "Um, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And he's talking about the cross. 
He's talking about what Christ is going to have to do. And Christ is that leader that served the will of his father for the good of the people that were being led at his own expense. Um, And so the gospel is the ultimate picture of leadership. And so when you're ready, um, you can can take this off and take um, the wafer, which represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you, um, and drink from the juice, which represents his blood that has been shed for us. Father, uh, I do pray for the things that are going on right now in our world, Lord. Um, I thank you that that though at times leadership doesn't seem to make sense to us, Lord, leadership is your idea and that you are the one that's sovereign and you are the one that's in control and you are the one that's going to make all things right. And our hope ultimately is in you and that you have given us a picture of leadership in Christ, in what you have done for us in the cross, Lord, that uh, on our behalf, on the behalf of your followers who rebelled against you, You took the consequences of our decisions to restore our relationship with you, Lord. In the places where we um, have been called to lead, God, may we lead in a way uh, that is similar to the way that you have led us. And God, may you give us the grace to follow and the faith to trust uh, that ultimately um, all of this is working for your purpose. We love you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.